The Gospel reading is from John chapter 8. Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will not look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. passage, because uh, that's one of the most punk passages in the Bible. I mean, Jesus is just like sticking it to the man in that passage. I don't know if you noticed, but that's what we're going to talk about. And I feel like today is going to be something really big, because uh, on this stage last night, I got to listen to John Doe, who was the lead singer and guitarist for legendary punk band X. So I was I knew they were coming, but I didn't know uh, when I put the sermon series together. And so I was downstairs working on my sermon, finishing my sermon, and, uh, and I heard him rehearsing upstairs. And I was just like, oh, this is just so serendipitous. I can't wait. And so I went up and listened to the show after I got finished, and it was, it was great. He's playing again here tonight if you want to come. It's uh, not like hardcore punk. It's more like melodic. And so... Even if you think punk is a certain thing, you may really enjoy the show tonight. Um, so I think it's, uh, can I say that's an omen? I don't think that's a Christian concept, but it feels like a sign that this is going to be a good Sunday. Well, let, me, let me pray for us, and then we're going to look at uh, Jesus' passage. Father, we pray that you would guide us and lead us, and that you would help us to see what we need to from this passage and from contemplating uh, the lyrics of um, Patti Smith, that we might be able to see our world and see ourselves and see our church more clearly. And we pray for liberation. We pray for freedom. Amen. So I'm printing not a lot of quotes in the bulletin, but just the sermon or the uh, song lyrics of each of the songs that we're contemplating each Sunday. And this, these are the lyrics of Patti Smith's opening lines to her most famous record, Horses, that came out in 1975, and she, it's not often, well, I guess people are a little bit, it, find it odd that she's thought of as punk, because she's very melodic, a little bit folky, um, but man, this is such a punk line, and she hung around the punk scene um, and is seen as one of the forebears of punk in New York. 
uh, back in the 70s. But she opens this line, first line, the first song of her most famous record, Horses. Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not mine. And these are actually a toned-down version of a poem that she wrote, Oath, a number of years earlier. And this line is particularly haunting to me because she later blamed the song's defiant attitude toward God for a terrible fall that she had off, of, off stage in Tampa where she broke her neck, broke a number of vertebrae. Uh, but up until just recently, she was fairly coy about those connections. And as ma- many poets are, she was coy about the actual meaning of the song. Why was she singing this? Until 30 years later, she was being interviewed by Terry Gross on Fresh Air, and she said, people constantly come up to me and say, you're an atheist, you don't believe in Jesus, and I say, well, obviously, I believe in him. I'm saying that, that the concept of Jesus I believe in, I just wanted freedom. I wanted freedom. She says, I wanted to be free of him. I was 20 years old, and it was sort of my youthful manifesto. I didn't want to be good, but I didn't want him to have to worry about me. (laughs) I didn't want him taking responsibility for my wrongdoings or my youthful explorations. So it's really a statement about freedom. Now, probably if you have no background in the church, you've heard this statement of Jesus that you'll know the truth and it shall set you free. It's engraved into marble in the CIA headquarters. It's it's a motto or engraved in various universities around the country, including UP, right up the street. And yet, though this is one of the most famous statements that Jesus makes, Patty Smith's longing for freedom leads her away from Jesus, away from God, as it does most of the punk rock universe. Because the conventional wisdom says that the church is about the last place that anyone would look for freedom. The church uses rules, it uses morality to keep people compliant, to keep people in line, to keep people sedated, as the Ramones might say. I watched the first uh, episode of Handmaid's Tale this week. You're probably like, yeah, we watched that four years ago. But I finally got around to watching it, and It just is amazing that this is sort of the picture that outside culture has of the church, that it's that oppressive and that harmful to people. And I wish I could say, well, this is all bad press. This is fake news, right? The church is not all that bad. But we know that this isn't all fake news. It's not all bad press. Too often, those of us in the church, when we find truth, we think we possess truth, and it closes down open minds. It, it renders our curiosity kind of null and void. It creates a lot of walls rather than welcome. So maybe we need, need punk. Maybe we need someone like Patti Smith to remind us that this isn't the image that everyone has of Jesus, that our experience, if we had that liberating experience with him may not be everyone else's experience. But Jesus says, at the very charter of our faith, Jesus says, if you find the truth, it will feel liberating. If you encounter the truth, it will feel empowering. And if you're in a church that doesn't feel that way, doesn't feel empowering and liberating, something is wrong. 
something is missing. And to see this, we have to look at a word that is going to probably throw us off the trail just a little bit because it's a word that's been so misused that it would seem absurd to consider this word as a gateway to freedom. But if we're looking for freedom, as Patti Smith says she was, we have to know what we're looking for freedom from. And Jesus says here, very provocatively, that we need liberation from sin. And sin, of course, is a wet blanket kind of word. Sin are the things that we do that we really like to do. They're the things that are really pleasurable that God wants us to stop. But sin, first of all, isn't something any of us do. It's not, first of all, behavioral, but it's a distortion of love. It's a distortion, in fact, of our humanity such that we lose power to be ourselves. We lose freedom. We lose power of self-determination. Sin is a loss of freedom. And maybe you've never considered it before because that's not how we talk about it that much. But Jesus says in verse 34, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is what? A slave to sin. A slave doesn't have the power of individual choice. A slave loses a whole horizon of choices that are available to other people. And this loss of choice, loss of self, is depicted in some of our great characters and fictional characters losing themselves to an idea, losing themselves to a quest, losing themselves to a conflict. You think of Ivan and Dmitri Karamazov. You think of Ahab and the white whale. You think of Tom and Jerry. Come on, I set that up well. You're asleep, not following. Tom and Jerry, you know, cartoon characters. Tom's life only makes sense when he's beating the tar out of Jerry, the mouse. And it's funny for kids because he's doing the things to, our, to his friend that we sort of want to do to our siblings sometimes. But every few episodes, Tom and Jerry, they call a truce. They become friends. They establish this sort of shaky detente, and they see all of this fighting is futile. And they'll be hanging out on the back porch, sitting in lawn chairs, reclining with drinks with little umbrellas in them, and having the time of their life. They're not worried. They're not in danger. But they look over at the other person, and they think, man, I sure would love to just pound him with a mallet. And how does the writer depict this? Well, it depicts it with these little uh, cartoon angel mice or angel mouse or angel cat or uh, devil mouse or devil cat on the shoulder. You see, hurting each other has become so much part of their life and their existence. And even though it would be so much easier just to stop and so much so less much less dangerous if they stayed friends without fail they listen to this little devil voice that says that they should smash the other guy in the teeth with a rake that that's how they live their life that's what's demanded of them and they couldn't break the cycle they couldn't not listen to that voice now, hopefully your enslavement doesn't involve, you know, violence with yard tools, but 
Certainly we understand that draw, that it's by inflicting pain on someone else or even ourselves, that's how we feel alive. That's how we make our way in the world. That's how we feel better. And it's not that each and every act that we do is sinful. I think oftentimes our theologians have overplayed that. But we have those places in our lives, big parts of our lives, if we're honest, that we feel beholden, that we don't feel free, that we feel enslaved. And then we have authority structures that come in and collectivize that. They collectivize our sin and our enslavement in tribes and in political parties and in creeds and theological systems that kind of bundle all of that in one place, and it becomes very dangerous and very toxic. And maybe that's what Patti Smith experienced in her upbringing as a Jehovah's Witness. And what Punk says, and what I think she was saying is, wake up, question authority, tune out of the enslaving mainstream and its values that are corruptive and harmful. Stop lying to yourself that you're free. Patti Smith couldn't imagine a pursuit of freedom that involved Jesus. Because to her, Jesus wasn't countercultural. He wasn't radical. He'd become the worst thing to punk. He'd been mainstreamed. He was their parents' music. And Jesus goes to the Jews, and you should read this here, the religious authorities, the authority structure that was in place to keep order. And he goes to them, and Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And there are some that believed in him and followed him, but there's majority that hears that, and they don't say, wow, that is a beautiful sentiment. We should put that on a building. No, they get mad. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free as if it's something in the future? Who are you to say shall? And I just kind of imagine here, you know, a young teenager and they've gotten into punk music and they take the lyrics to their parents and say, you know, mom and dad, this is all that you're missing. This is what you need to know about the world. And I can imagine most, of, most parents don't like thinking that we are blind and we don't know what we're doing. And I think that kind of is what's going on here is that this young upstart radical rabbi has come and told the religious authorities that they don't know the truth, that they're still enslaved to something. We're Abraham's descendants, religious people, noble people, moral people. These are the people that are worried about the moral decline of society and the music that all the youth are listening to. These are the people that know how to do life. They're law-abiding citizens. They're slaves, Jesus says. 
These are the people in Jesus' teaching who need to be set free, but they don't know it. And what could be more enslaving than to be a slave and not know it? And we know that, don't we, that some of the most effective covering strategies, some of the best places to hide are in religious organizations and in the church because we can spiritualize our anger. We can baptize our fear and call it defending the Bible against all of those people, all of those usurpers, all of those heretics. And we can just create cultures of anger, cultures of against. And we can be captured by very destructive images of God that aren't liberating at all. And it seems that's what happened with Patty because she had this very crippling image of God. And she tells Melody Maker Magazine in England, I fell about this accident. I fell during Ain't It Strange. I fell just as I was saying, hand of God, I feel the finger. And I did feel the finger push me right over. I spend so much time challenging God, and when I perform, and in everything I do, that I feel it was His way of saying You keep battering against my door, and I'm going to open that door, and you'll fall in. She sang songs of disbelief, and according to her, God pushed her in and broke her neck. And is it any surprise she didn't want anything to do with Jesus when she wanted to find freedom? You see, friends, punk is anti-religious, We're going to talk about that more. It's almost embedded into the DNA of the lyrics and the song structure, but it's not anti-religious in any way that should threaten us because we should reject images of God like that. You see, Jesus was anti-religious if we think of religion as those structures which oppress people and restrict freedom. Jesus says the first step to freedom is knowing the truth. And by that, he doesn't mean what it means at the CIA or what it means at Johns Hopkins inscribed in marble. It's not the accumulation of knowledge, but it's the acknowledgement of the diagnosis. It's the acknowledgement that there's something wrong in our world and that I'm the culprit. And that sin affects all of us. And it affects all of our institutions because they are merely aggregations of both the best about us and the worst. And Patty doesn't deny this word sin and that it has relevance to her, even in a punk rock world. She's worried about her wrongdoing, you see? She just doesn't see the connection of Jesus taking on her wrongdoing as a gateway to freedom. She's just not certain that Jesus, as, he, as she understands him, offers anything but more of the same, more of the mainstream. Well, let me just finish with this, because Jesus, I think, is saying the first step here to freedom is acknowledging 
the truth, acknowledging not just mentally but with our lives that we embody an acknowledgement of the truth, that Jesus comes to us not as a moral teacher primarily, trying to point out issues of sinful behavior, but He comes as a physician. He comes as a liberator. He comes wanting to set people free and so that they pursue what is good because they want to, not because they are told to. They pursue that which is beautiful because they find it to be lovely because of what they know about Jesus, not because the church tells them to. He comes as a liberator who wants you to be set free. And he comes saying, and I would say that your biggest behavior, biggest problem is not your behavior, but it's your bondage, especially if you don't know it. And punk helps us to see the most important, the most powerful masters, the ones that we don't see, the ones that we're not aware of, the ones that we get comfortable with, the ones that make us feel good about ourselves. And you see, the American church talks a lot about sin, mostly meaning individual behavior, other people's, of course, but this can be a cover. It can be a misdirection so that we don't have to deal with our own sin, with the sin that is endemic in our system, that we don't have to deal with our materialism. We don't have to deal with our greed. We don't have to deal with our anger that we reward sometimes in church, that we don't have to deal with our militaristic nationalism, that we don't have to deal with our naked pursuit of political gain. If we can keep the sin individualized and externalized, then we're okay. We're safe. But part of the acknowledgement is that we don't see everything that we need to see, that we need a third party, that we need the truth revealed to us. And part of it is acknowledging that we can't free ourselves. The real problem, you see, friends, is not our circumstances, it's not our boss, it's not our spouse, it's not Brett Kavanaugh, believe it or not, it's not the decline of public morality that wins elections when you talk about it. None of that is the real problem, although they may be isolated problems. What I think Jesus is driving us to say is that our real problem is us. Your real problem, your most central problem is you, and you need to be rescued. You need to be set free by a powerful intervention of God that none of us will ever achieve our way to freedom. None of us will ever think our way to freedom. None of us will ever good behave ourselves out of sin, but only by one who comes to be enslaved to us, to be enslaved on our behalf. And you see, the cross is the most punk symbol in the history of the world. It really is. And I'm sorry, it's, it's a gigantic middle finger to the establishment, to Rome. And if you don't believe that or if you think that's a little bit irreverent, how did Rome see it? Rome saw it exactly like that. 
the religious authorities saw it exactly like that. Early British punk subverted the empire that they saw as very corrupt and colonial by appropriating its symbols of power, by appropriating symbols of the queen and symbols of the Union Jack, that these things began, they, they subverted these symbols of power. And what Jesus does is he comes and he subverts the enslaving, violent power of Rome by reappropriating one of its most cherished images, the fearsome, violent image of the cross that kept people in bondage and kept people in fear for their lives if they stepped out of line. It was a sign of repression and occupation. And Jesus goes to the cross, and he makes it a sign of liberation. He makes it a sign of freedom, of revolution. But it's so much more than just that. It's so much more than just a sign because it's an act of God for your liberation and for mine truth, you see, the truth that Jesus is talking about and that we should all be pursuing is not just this disembodied idea. It's not a theological construct. But truth is Jesus' cruciform life, that he lives for you and that he lives for me. You see, truth is a God so radically committed to us, so radically committed to your rescue that he comes And he becomes enslaved, and he allows himself to be killed by the power of Rome and the religious authorities. He comes and he dies for you. And so I hope that we can say to those of us that have that sense that Patti Smith did, that she rejects him, but not for the right reasons. That if punk or anyone wants to reject God, reject Jesus, then do so because of what he really did and what he really said. Do so knowing that he's actually can be for some of the many beautiful things that you are for and against some of the many ugly and just unjust things that you are against, that he comes as a prophet of liberation. And let's deal with that in our personal lives. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would set us free from all those things that enslave us, including and maybe especially the thought that we aren't enslaved, that we ourselves are the sole directors of our lives, that we ourselves are in control. Father, help us to at least open the door to the thought that giving over control to you might be the most liberating thing that we could do today. And I pray, Jesus, you would inhabit this worship service in such a way that we would see your joy at us being set free. And it's in your name and because of your life, we pray. Amen. Now, we come to this table and we see truth not as disembodied. We see truth as very embodied. We see it as an action on your behalf and on my behalf. And we see this meal then as so much more than just a sign. It is a sign, but it points to something that is very real and very visceral and very true, and that is that Jesus lived and he died and he was resurrected for you. 
and that that's what we feed upon, that truth. We actually absorb it. We take it into our lives. And so I invite whoever is here this morning who wants that, who needs that, to come and participate in this meal and ask that God would feed you in the places where you are in need of hope and of liberation. And if you're here and maybe you have thoughts about Jesus as Patty Smith did, that it doesn't all make sense yet, it doesn't line up, you haven't yet connected the dots, then I hope that you'll keep coming and maybe those dots will begin to align for you. You'll see this more and more as truth, but come at your own pace and your own speed and don't feel compelled to do to participate in this part of the service if you don't feel that it's where you are spiritually and in your quest. Let's pray now for our meal together. Jesus, we pray that you would inhabit these elements. We pray that you would be strong where we are weak, that you would be courageous where we are fearful, that you would tell us again that we walk into this new week not alone, not solo, but we walk into this week with you, that you are the one who hung the stars and the planets and that you can guide us. We pray that you would empower us through this meal. In Jesus' name, amen.